So I've been told I have a voice for radio. Really? Yeah. And I think that's like usually a euphemism for deep and masculine. I feel like that's a nice compliment though. Yeah. And actually the time, the best time I got it, like I had just met somebody and it was someone I was interning with. They were like, wow, you could do like radio movie trailers even. And I was like, okay, I'll take it. (laughs) How do you normally introduce yourself? Hey, I'm Jenna. (laughs) That's probably like the quickest. And what's, what's the first question that normally comes after that? From other people to me? What do you do? What do you do? I'm a copywriter at an advertising agency. And your last name? (laughs) Is copy. (laughs) That's why I actually sometimes feel awkward about introductions, especially when they come name first and then... Is this where you'd like to be in your life? And is this what you'd like to be doing? How'd you get here? And where do you hope to go in the future? Most importantly, how are things right now? And what have you learned along the way? This is Bill Ehrlich. Is now a good time? When did that connect where your last hmm, name being funny. copy and being a copywriter or this idea that you might want to be yeah, a copywriter? In college, because I was majoring in advertising, I knew what it was, but I didn't know for sure that's what I was going to do. So it probably crossed my mind like, oh, haha, that's funny. But, <laughs> but I don't think I really thought about it until... I was applying to portfolio school and it was the copywriting program. (laughs) I was like, well, hmm, that's funny. And I embrace it to an extent. I grew up in the burbs of Chicago. I was a huge tomboy, two older brothers. Definitely a lot of my childhood was sports. I, so when I was really little, I like danced and did figure skating. And then I was like, I'm not This girl. (laughs) So soccer it is. (laughs) Soccer took up a huge portion of my life. And then, but I was also always interested in theater, but it was kind of like a side thing. Like I was never fully invested in it, but it was always something that kept coming back into my life. So I did theater camp in the summer and I did some little shows at the local community theater. Probably, yeah, middle school, I started doing productions at school because I've always liked to like joke around and I guess I've been like to some extent a a ham all my life we had the musical and I participated in that as well but this was for the more um yeah the more theater kids I feel like even though I don't I wasn't always in that group this was like about acting not this wasn't a musical or there probably were there probably were songs in it the musical and like the one act play or some of the the yes this was a one act play yes And then in high school, that ended up being, I never did a musical in high school. Middle school was the time where you could do it and not be good. And then it was like kind of past that point. If I could probably choose like one quote unquote God-given talent to have, it probably would be a good singing voice. But anyway, I enjoyed it. What's your favorite song to sing? Well, I like, so I do impersonations. So I feel like that's what helps me sometimes because I can fake it by impersonating somebody else. So I like to uh, I like to do Nora Jones. Okay, can I get like a little taste? <laughs> it's like it's an impersonation of her. Do you want? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. I waited till I saw the sun. Don't know why I didn't come. Left you by the house of fun. Don't know why I didn't come.
left you by the house of fun I don't know why I didn't come I don't know why I didn't come Great. Thanks. Love that. <laughs> Thanks. Musicals were good. This is middle school still. So. Middle school. So high school, soccer, I, you know, had to be dedicated to that. I loved it. And yes, it did. But it did consume my life. I also knew that I didn't want to like fully give up theater, but I wasn't going to be one of the people that was in every show in the drama club. Even I found a really cool outlet and it was called forensics or the speech team. And it's different from speech and debate. You're not debating all just public speaking. Some of them are more towards acting and some of them are more towards um, impromptu type scenarios. I started in oratorical declamation. I think the first one I had was like a very stereotypical graduation speech. They were looking for people on our team to enter into this other event because we didn't have enough people called Original Comedy. I remember this clearly because I'd been wanting to do that event, but too scared to say it because I was the newest team member and had to do what they assigned me to. Then they were saying it casually at a team meeting or something like, we're looking for, you know, people to... And I was kind of shy about it, but I was glad that I said it because they were like, yeah, sure, you know, give it a go. And I did, and it went pretty well. It was tough. It's hard when you're trying to get a laugh from a like silent room. Would they laugh or would they just stay silent? Depends. Both situations happen. Every everything happened. Yeah. It was it was awkward sometimes, but you really just have to get into your role and ignore the fact that people are watching. Would it be would it be a sketch or would it be stand, a stand-up oh, comedy oh, routine or this, what, what yeah, would it be? It's actually Because you write it. Yes. Okay. So it's essentially a sketch, but I'm all of the people. The piece that I ended up doing well with was five characters. It's a lot of characters. Yeah. It, it was fun, though. What was, the, what was the situation? It was called The Great Debate of 08. So it was in 2008. The presidential election was upcoming, and it was a tense time. And there was a, a Republican candidate who was essentially Stewie Griffin. So I did that voice. There was a Democrat who was a robot. There was a Green Party candidate, Douglas Fir. That's a great name. And that's <laughs> that's the sort of thing where this copywriting. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You're, you're picking up on it. So this is high school. Mm-hmm. While growing up, did your parents encourage your writing or humor? N- nobody discouraged it, that's for sure. But I think it was mostly just what felt right. Like, I don't, I don't remember ever consulting people. And I always liked to write, but the majority of my writing was just done in school. But I knew I would finish a paper and be like, why was that fun? My great aunt, and it's partially probably because she's older and like brings it up every time I see her, but she reminds me more that I did always like to write because she talks about how I used to carry around a little notebook and write in it when I was like four and five. Now, now that you're like asking if I had other mentors or encouragement, I'm like, I don't know why I pursued it. As you're graduating from high school, were you applying to a lot of schools? Did you know that you were going to go into advertising? What were you thinking about as far as where to go to school as well as what to mm-hmm. pursue? I only applied to Big Ten schools because I wanted to have the uh, 
what I thought was the typical college experience. You know, football games on the weekends, and I didn't really think too much about the frat sorority thing, but I ended up in that world too. I think I just wanted the big college experience. My mom went to University of Illinois, and my dad went to University of Pennsylvania. And a bunch of my family members went to Michigan State. At the time, I thought I wanted to do journalism. So I applied to Illinois, Indiana, Michigan State, Penn State, and Wisconsin is where I wanted to go. I got waitlisted and rejected from Wisconsin, and I fully remember that day, and it was terrible. And, oh, I should, I should mention the school that I went to as where I applied, Ohio State. So, um, oh, that's where you went? Yeah. Well, I transferred. Okay. So I went to Ohio State for my freshman year. I'm glad it happened the way it did now that I. So that transfer, though, from Ohio State to University of Illinois, like what was happening that freshman year? Were you, was it a hard time? You said, I want to be back. Yeah. So school was good, but it was a, it was a mixture of things. First, it was really hard to make friends. And I felt like, I was I was at the U of I of Ohio. It felt like everybody was from Ohio. Oh, and, and you were. And <laughs> yeah. Um, so tack on the fact that my mom was sick. And that's when I decided to transfer back home because I didn't want to be, uh, I wanted to be a car right away. So that's, that's what it was more than the school. Yeah, because by the time that I was deciding to transfer, um, it was a hard, it was a really hard decision because then I had made friends and had settled in. Because I think no matter where I was at that point in my life, one, freshman year of college is hard, but two, the fact that my mom was sick, like at that point, I don't think it mattered where I was. I would have been a little bit uh, sad and having a hard time anyway. Um, so, yeah, so when I got accepted to U of I, then it was a really hard decision, but I thought, you know, I should take this, this opportunity. And at that point, is is this, when you say you were accepted at U of I, is that initially? No, the transfer. This is the transfer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was initially rejected. Like From full U of I. On. Yeah, full on. Okay. And uh, yeah, so then I transferred and was still a communications major. I'm curious if advertising, how that came about. I took intro to advertising. I don't know why. It was a class. It sounded interesting. I took it and I loved it and I changed my major immediately. <laughs> and that's the story. It's like not even more complicated than that. <laughs> Uh, I didn't even bother to think about, like, where is this going? I was like, you know what? This totally makes sense for me. This was at U of I now? Yes. Okay. So it kind of clicked, and it was like, it didn't even feel like a light bulb moment, but it was kind of like, maybe this is, like, what I've been sort of going towards without knowing it. Like, I've always enjoyed that kind of creativity. So, yeah. You just didn't realize it was a thing you could do, and it's called kind of advertising, and then slightly further down the road, copyright. Yeah, yeah. I guess so. I because I I kind of thought like okay, well if I want to be a writer, I can be a journalist or I can be a novelist. And I was like, well, I don't want to write facts. And I realized, yeah, I don't want to do journalism. Like I'm not going to have somebody say, hey, go follow that you know terribly sad news story. And by the way, you can't put any of your opinion in it. <laughs> like like I would I realized that was not for me. Then thinking about you know, writing books, maybe, but like there's the, I don't have that passion, I guess. Like I have the drive 
to write, I love words. I love, love, love words. But I, I never thought about like, oh, I would love to just have my own published book. It just wasn't something that I felt was right. Even when I started majoring in advertising, though, I still didn't know that that would so naturally lead to writing as a full career. So it's sophomore year, you switch to mm-hmm. advertising. Yep. Take intro to advertising, say, this is what I want to do. This yeah. is like very clearly kind of what I have been interested in for a long time. Yeah. Then where did copywriting come in? So I think probably pretty early on in the curriculum... I learned about, you know, what the roles were within advertising. I, I just continued taking the classes that felt the mo- most interesting. Had a great teacher, and he is probably the one that, like, really opened my eyes about portfolio school. His name was Peter Sheldon. He talked about the beginning of his advertising career in Virginia and kind of how he, like, shocked people with, like, he dyed his hair pink when he went on an interview and like how he shocked people and got hired anyway. And I was, so his stories started intriguing me just about the field in general, but especially the creative side, because it just felt like a cool place to be like a thing to be a part of. You could really express yourself. So we started talking about that. And then at the end of his class, he had an info session about portfolio school. So I went to it. And that is probably when I really decided, I think this is for me. That would have still been my sophomore year. Yeah. Did it feel relieving to learn that there was a track you could go on where things could be interesting? Yes. Yeah. Because I I never felt like I was like some other people, like, oh my God, I'm so lost. I don't know what I'm doing. So it wasn't so much like a panic situation. But once I did find it, it was exciting. Yeah. It was like, okay, I can, this is going to be a fun thing to explore and it's, it can lead somewhere. And I, I feel very confident that it can lead somewhere. Even though I was starting to think about creative, it wasn't like the only goal at that point. It was just like, okay, this major will take me somewhere in general. But then when I learned about portfolio schools, that's when I was like, okay, I think I can do this. And then the next year of my life was insane. (laughs) And it wasn't really on my mind. Yeah, I'll tell you why. Um, So I went back to school for my junior year and I was applying to study abroad. Okay, so I realized I should mention though, I was excited about this portfolio school thing when I went to that meeting, right? Uh And so I talked to my mom about it and I started looking into it a little bit and it was very expensive. Okay. And I remember saying like I don't know if that's a smart move the state of the economy you know people getting jobs right when they graduate is already hard enough like do I want to prolong it what is the investment worth it but I think she could see that a lot of that was also me just worried about spending the money and I remember her saying like we'll make it work and this is you and your mom sophomore year yeah right after I had taken this class with Peter who got me kind of excited about this potential. Then I go back to school for junior year. At this point, mostly concerned, like I have this career idea in mind, but I'm mostly thinking about studying abroad because I'm like, yeah, I have to do this. Like regardless of whether it fits into my advertising program or not, I wanted to go to Spain. I decide to 
apply to go to Sevilla in the south of Spain. And it was like a, an international business program. I guess I did always think like, I'll do business in some capacity because my parents were like, you know, business people. What kind of work did they do? They sold software. They met at IBM. So I'm in the process of thinking about how, yes, I can be in Spain, you know, in a couple months from now. This is so exciting. And then my mom went to the hospital. So she had an undiagnosed illness. The closest thing to what people know, asthma, is how it seemed to present itself in that she would just stop breathing. But unlike asthma, uh, asthmatics can't exhale breath. She actually couldn't get breath in. So she would literally not just not be able to breathe. It had been, you know, somewhat managed for several years, but it was no quality of life and just kept getting worse and worse. And it ended up seeming like she was allergic to absolutely everything. So like food, a department store one time, she was like, maybe it was the dirty carpeting, but you know, I couldn't breathe. Lots of steroids and lots of albuterol inhalers and nebulizers and things that were only temporary relief for a much larger problem that no doctor could figure out. And she went to the Mayo Clinic and Scripps Clinic and a million and one specialists and they never, never figured it out. So that had been going on since I was 13. So I was somewhat used to phone call that mom's in the hospital sort of thing. Um, but it had gotten a lot worse over the past couple years. Like the first three years of her sickness, she wasn't really in the hospital much. And then it became way too frequent. So I got a call that, you know, she was in the hospital. And so I think I talked to my brother and he was gonna about to take her home. So then... Would it just happen out of nowhere? Something would cause her to not be able to breathe and then she would have to be rushed to the hospital? Yeah, pretty much. Sometimes she could feel it coming on, but a lot of times not. And it actually... I skipped over this part, but it got it probably got most serious right before I went to college. She pulled over at a gas station because she felt it coming on and went inside and tried to tell them to call 911 and then just collapsed. And she had to be put into a medically induced coma and was that was for about a month. And then had another two months of being in the hospital and rehab. Like, she had a trach. So, like, learning to, like, eat and speak again and walk. So, my whole summer when I should have been preparing to go to college. And this is why I'm very thankful about Ohio State because they had a quarter system at the time. So, I started much later than everyone. So, I was able to be home for the whole summer with her. But, yeah, my whole summer preparing for college was actually just spent in the hospital with my mom. So this time, you know, I got a call that she was in the hospital and then she was coming home. And so I called her and I talked to her while she was on the way home from the hospital. And I had just had like a bad dinner with my friend who was a childhood friend. And I was um, looking for roommates for after, for my senior year, for after I came home from studying abroad, assuming that I got accepted to the program. And she really hurt my feelings that I, I kind of, we had discussed rooming together before. And then 
it felt like sort of a surprise that she had already kind of figured things out. And so I'd had this dinner and I, uh, so then my mom is coming home from the hospital in the car with my brother and I call her and, you know, I'm upset because of this roommate dinner. I'm upset because she is sick. And so being the wonderful mother that she was, she could sense that I was really upset about something in addition to her just being sick. And so she always wanted to try to help me. So of course we ended up talking about that and not much about her current condition and, um, hung up the phone with her and then that was at night and then the next morning I went to Spanish class and this was like kind of preparing to I purposely took this class to prepare for studying abroad this is sophomore year this is the beginning of junior year and so when were um, you slated to go abroad the second semester of junior year okay just to get things straight Mm -hmm. the summer after high school when you're getting ready to go to college is when Mm -hmm. your mom really she was in the hospital yeah and you were there and then she recovered enough to with assistance drop me off at college at ohio state mm-hmm. but then while you were away at ohio state things things were not improving you know pretty much the same kind of thing so she didn't have any really terrible episodes when i was at ohio state but that was part of that what but part of what brought back. me back to illinois absolutely oh, yeah and then you learned about a lot of that advertising stuff happened sophomore year at Illinois. Yeah, and, that, and I was year. still, and I was coming home, and she was coming to visit me, and it was a lot better. I mean, she was still sick, but I was seeing her a lot through my sophomore year. Did, did the fact that it was undiagnosed kind of have this other effect on your family? And your mom and dad are probably going everywhere. Yeah. Actually, so my parents were divorced. Okay. And there was a new man in my mom's life right when she got sick. So, um, actually I believe her very first ever hospital visit due to it was on the night of their engagement party of my mom and this, and my, who became my stepdad. So that was when I was 13 though. That's the backtracking story of that. The fact that it was undiagnosed was most torturous for her. And then subsequently for me, because I was probably the closest thing to a caregiver or the one who was most consistently there. Um, my brothers are a lot older. There was that. And then, yeah, it was it was weird throwing in the like new stepdad factor too. But the fact that it was undiagnosed was pretty torturous and, and will always be difficult to deal with. My eldest brother, I was very appreciative that he had, he didn't move back in just to take care of her. He was also kind of struggling to figure out his career in life, but very glad that he was there while I was away at college. What about your actual dad? Did he stay in touch? Oh, he, um, yeah, yeah. My, my dad, um, my whole life, they were divorced when I was five, but my whole life he lived a five minute car ride in the same town. Was he supportive while she was sick? Would he um, help out or was it not like that? It wasn't like that. She didn't need like constant caretake. There wasn't anything that could really be done until something happened. And she was working full time throughout all of this. Like wow. she was a rock star. I mean, she's just a, a was a very strong, strong person in general. But but yeah, the first several years it wasn't as bad. And I was in you know living my teenager life, and the the stepdad was around. So okay. it, yeah, so it was it was much more manageable throughout high school. When I went to college, is when it got really really bad, or that you know that set off by that 
pre-college coma. So she, I, I think I, I was talking about when we had had that conversation with the, my roommate, or that yeah. wasn't going to be my roommate. So then the next morning I had Spanish class and I think I had to give a presentation and it was like nervous about my Spanish. And I was like, oh God, I'm not good enough at Spanish. Like this is going to be hard to study abroad. And my forms were due that day or the next day, my study abroad application. I get out of my Spanish class and I see that I have like three or four missed calls from my cousin. And I knew immediately that it was something really bad. So I called her back and she said, you know, you talked to your mom last night when Brian was taking her home. Well, very, very early in the morning, she was yelling for him and he found her like on the verge of passing out and uh, had to, I, I actually can't even remember if it was, if he called an ambulance or took her again. But anyway, she went back to the hospital that very next morning and, um, that was a very bad sign because <laughs> usually when she came home from the hospital, she wouldn't have an attack for a while because they'd pump her full of steroids um, and it just wouldn't happen. You know, she or my cousin told me I needed to come home. And so I, as calmly as possible, dropped off my study abroad application at the office and started driving home. And my dad called me and shouldn't have said that he he do, he's not maybe the best in in intense situations. Um, and he said, you know, well, be careful while you're driving, but hurry. And I was like, oh my god, that's why would you say that to me? I don't think I said this even to him, but that was a very very terrifying moment of you know this might be might be it. So I got home. You know, went to the hospital immediately, and it was like two days later, maybe, they said they were thinking about trying to wean her off the ventilator and see if that would prove successful. So, you know, she had machines breathing for her. So that's the news I get, and then I am at home in, in my mom's house, you know, I'm sleeping there, and it's just uh my one brother and my dog and me, and... So sleep there that night, like that's the last piece of news I receive. And then the next morning I knew my other brother and my mom's friend were going to the hospital. So I was waiting at home with my other brother until, you know, they spent some time and then we were going to go. So I, I was at home kind of just, I don't even know what I was doing, honestly. Like just probably like throwing things around, like feeling like I was cleaning or something. Like, I just remember, like, being in the house and not knowing what to do with myself while I was, like, waiting to go to the hospital. And then um, I tried to call my brother, who was supposed to be there, and he didn't answer. And uh, ten minutes later, he and my dad and my mom's best friend walked in the door of my house. And as soon as I saw them... I kind of started crying and yelling, like, why are you here? Why are you here? And I, I knew before they could even say anything, really. You know, they just, like, started walking towards me with open arms, wanting to hug me. And um, and, and they said uh, she was brain dead. So then uh, I, you know, 
completely lost it. It was the absolute worst moment of my life. Collapsed on the floor. My dog peed. Um, and uh, then I just went back to the hospital to be with her for the rest of the time. Um, and what really I think helped me get through those last uh, couple days was um, organ donation. Um, I knew she would have, I don't know if she was registered as one or not, but I knew she would have wanted to be. And so my cousin had a friend who was actually suffering from a lung disease and sorry, not lung, liver. And so that then became my purpose was, okay, let's, um, save somebody else's mom. This was a woman who had two young children. And so the last couple days of my mom's life, you know, we, we actually had one of our family friend doctors come and, and make sure that yes, indeed she was brain dead. And that, that was really hard for me because, um, her brain was really special as weird as it's not like she was so smart. And so I felt like for some reason that was a weird thing to me. Like why, why did her brain have to die? And then she's just here in this terrible, terrible body that has done everything against her. And her brain was her only thing that was like still going right. And so that was a weirdly twisted, disturbing thing for me. I then wanted you know, to get her liver donated. So we were, uh, or they, they were a match. And, um, so the, uh, is it gift of life or donate life? One of the, yeah, the organ donation organizations. Um, this guy came and was just, I wish I could find him and thank him because like he sat on the hospital floor with me for hours and I don't even remember what we talked about, but like, he was the volunteer. He was just, this was just like his, his everyday thing. But, uh, for me, it was really help. I didn't want to, like, I was having a hard time talking to any of my loved ones. What hospital were you at? <laughs> the Hinsdale hospital, the hospital I was born at actually. So I'm, I, maybe I could find out. Yeah, maybe I could, but I, I don't know. It's been so long and it was such a hard thing to deal with and now it's been five years so I don't know but um uh so you know we set uh, a time to I don't even know the time like it's all obviously a big blur but um yeah I just remember like we knew she would you know that we had to as terrible as it sounds the term is like pull the plug we had to take her off of the ventilator um and I, yeah, I just remember, like, I, I didn't want to go home, and everybody was, like, I'm sure, obviously, looking out for me, but, like, trying to get me to eat, and I'm, like, leave, I don't want food, uh, leave me alone, I just want to sit here on the floor, like, you know, and so he would, he just sat next to me for hours, and, um, and I'm sure, yeah, we talked about, talked about organ donation, definitely, it was never, ever something uncomfortable for me, like, it made me, um, feel as good as I possibly could have at that point, I think. Um, so we set the time to uh, take her off the ventilator, and it's um, Saturday, I think Saturday morning or Sunday, I don't know. I know the date, but I don't know the day. So it was about 
eight, eight o'clock in the morning was when it was, eight o'clock was when it was supposed to happen. And so one of my brothers wanted to stay with her the whole time and the rest of us didn't want it because they take her from her hospital room into a surgical room because as soon as they pull the plug, they want to remove the organs so they don't die. So, um, I waited with my dad and my aunt and uncle, maybe other people. I don't know. I waited in the chapel and it was right across the hall from where she was. So I, I walked with them into the surgical room and then, you know, I, I guess I, I guess I said goodbye to her there. I don't know. And then, um, went, went into the chapel and, um, a couple minutes later, my brother, uh, came out and said, she's not passing away. Like she's, they're going to have to take her back up to her hospital room. Um, she was breathing on her own, which is like, as far as I know, like pretty unheard of. Um, so that was kind of a cruel joke too. So took her back up to her hospital room. Uh, then I was there for a long time. And then, you know, somebody said, you know, you should, I, I don't know when the last time I'd been home was and showered and stuff. So like somebody said, you know, you should go home and shower. And it was really hard for me to leave her because she was, you know, going to die, but we didn't know when. And, um, I did because I don't even know why I was like, fine, I'll just go home and shower and come back immediately. That's all I like. I'll agree to that. Um, so I went home and showered, came back and then it was just, uh, somebody was there and, <clears throat> you know, I saw them and then they left and then it was just, um, my dad and me. And this, like, my dad and my mom were still friends. Like, they never had any ill will for each other. And they, they were really good divorced parents. Like, they always talked and uh, wanted to consult about, you know, ra raising us. Um, so it was a little after 7 p.m. And I had just been staring at her machine like I kind of always did when I was there looking at her levels of it. I learned a lot about like what to look for. And so just watching that and, um, you know, my dad and I kind of said, well, like, I guess, uh, we can't just, you know, stare at the machine. Like who knows how long we'll be here. <clears throat> so we turn on the TV and must've been only like two minutes later. My dad says, Jenna, look at, look at the machine. And it's, she's flatlining. And so, uh, you know, I laid with her for one more minute and kissed her goodbye. And then that was it. <laughs> so that was a long segue. Um, sorry. Uh, well, thank you for sharing. Yeah. So that's why the next year of my life was insane so um but we talked about studying abroad too and she didn't get to experience as much as she would have liked to because she um grew up really poor and started working when she was 15 and and just was uh 
very career focused and just never really did the um traveling thing much so um how much time was it from when you drop off and you go home is it a week or was it less than a week oh less than a week mm-hmm. oh uh yeah maybe like four days maybe I, oh, I i couldn't i was so engrossed i couldn't tell if it was a week or like two months no oh yeah to be honest i couldn't tell like and i still don't even know how long it was i just remember you know, I'd have to go back and look at my class schedule. I just remember I left from Spanish class. I think it was a Thursday. Maybe it was a Wednesday. Yeah, I think maybe it was like Thursday to Sunday or something. Yeah. Um, and then I um, took that semester off. So, um, yeah, it just, they, they, they allow that, whatever. So, yeah, I just, I had turned in my study abroad forms and then uh, that was the last thing I thought about school until... I got accepted to the program and had a big decision to make, you know, can I go move to a different country four months after my mom died? Can I do that? I don't know. And I did. (laughs) And it was the best thing ever, and I'm so glad I did. Um, I don't think it would have done me any good to have, you know, everybody was worried about me being so far away from everyone who loves me, um, which was definitely hard, but at the same time, I needed to not be the one that everybody's always worried about, and, you know, look like the girl with the dead mom, and looking at me with sad eyes, and asking, oh, really, how are you doing? You know, that was not helping me. Um, How were you doing? Even if you obviously didn't want to answer that. Yeah. At that time. Um... I was focusing on what needed to get done, and that was um, selling my mom's house. So it was um, m- my brother and me who packed up and cleaned out my whole house. Like, my childhood home, like, that was hard, too. That must have been um, really hard. Yeah, and so um, when the house was um, for sale before she passed away, anyway. But... Um, yeah, luckily our realtor was our neighbor, so like it went as smoothly as it could have gone. And my mom's brother was always in charge of like our finances, and he's a lawyer too. And so like he he helped. There were people who were um, doing the the things that needed to be done surrounding me, um, but it did feel like a lot of responsibility on my shoulders to clean out the house and and like move on with life i don't know it was just a very weird so just to get the timing yeah what month is it yes this is september of 2010 so it was the fall semester Mm -hmm. early on yeah right i'd only been in school for three four weeks so obviously so i just immediately took the semester off yeah yeah, that was not a chance. You had dropped off the application. You find out, I guess, pretty quickly. Yeah, I had, I had found out. Uh, you know, I don't know that you had two months later or whatever. Yeah, and and that decision point was January was when I would have to leave, which is also pretty yeah very quick months, very yeah quick. exactly very quick. So um, I don't know how I made that decision. I think it was just because I always wanted to do it. I was like, well, I mean, if this is going to stop me, like it, it would be reasonable for it to stop me. But at the same time, 
um, what am I going to do if I don't do this? I'm going to sit at home and be just wildly depressed, you know? Did you did you think about what your mom well, um, Oh, wanted? yeah, absolutely. And I knew she would have wanted me because actually we ran into this situation before. Yeah, so she would not have wanted me to miss another thing. Yeah, I missed out on some... Not, not anything like that I resent at all or even think about regularly, but, you know, I missed out on some stuff when she was sick, so... And just also the fact that I was not only doing it for me, but for her too. Like she never got to do that. She never went to Spain. So that was, yeah, that was important for me to do what she would have wanted me to do. But also <clears throat> um, to not think too hard about it. Like it sounds really dumb, right? To be like, okay, I'm going to go move. I Thankfully, I did have one friend that was in the same program as me. So, um, but yeah, but basically, okay, I'm going to go move to Spain four months after my mom died by myself and live with uh, a host family who speaks zero English. Like, kind of dumb, right? But... <laughs> in, in, some, in some ways, it sounds like it might be helpful. It was very helpful. And, like, now when I look back on it, of course I'll have the thoughts of, like, you know, I could have done more when I was studying abroad. And I have to remind myself, you did so much, like, you should be proud of yourself for doing that. At all. At all, yeah, yeah. And so, um, it was hard, and there were a lot of times when I was very sad, and I definitely did not, like, go out with the people in my program as much. You know, partying was not what I wanted to do I wanted to soak in the experience and the culture and see did you mourn in Spain yeah I mean I'm sure I did but like, I it wasn't like I'm just, I'm just curious this process never having gone through it yeah. how much you've shared already just it seems that getting somewhere very far away Mm -hmm. very foreign is or could be ideal to kind of yeah. work through it just on the individual level and kind of put back together yeah what this means and what my life is going to look like i don't think i was at that point yet okay i think it was more um it's a relief to be away from all the people who are worried about me okay um my mom always put herself last. I have inherited that to an extent. And it was, um, it was just, it was a lot of complicated things, but, um, I also felt like I had to be the strong, responsible one when she died too. Like I was going to more so than my brothers or anybody like, I've got to make sure the service goes well. I've got to make sure the house is in order to be sold. Like, it, w it was very much, like, like how it's portrayed, I feel like, in movies a lot. That people just, like, go to work on something as soon as death happens. And, like, I don't think it was because I was ignoring it. I definitely felt it. Like, I felt awful, but I needed these things to be done. And it was um, probably good to have the things to do. Um, and then I actually took on more things. I started, um, because I wasn't at school after the house stuff was taken care of, I needed something to do. Um, so I started, uh, tutoring high school kids and helping them with their college essays, just like through friends around, around town. 
that was good too. That gave me something to do. And then at that point I had already decided, yes, I'm going to study abroad. So then I was preparing for studying abroad. So yeah, so it was a lot of, you know, things to do. And I think when I first got to Spain, it was mostly excitement and I didn't feel as, I was very nervous, but it was, it was able to focus all that, um, potentially very negative emotion onto nerves and slash excitement of a new place. So when I first got there, you know, I just, it was like, I'm so glad I'm here, you know, and then it was, it was very much up and down. Um, I absolutely loved it. And looking back, I was probably um, way happier than I would have expected myself to be. But I think that was because I was there. Had I been home, I think I would have been a lot worse off. So um, did a lot, traveled a lot, made new friends. It was a wonderful experience. My dad met me at the end of it and we traveled for two weeks and it was so much fun. That was uh, That was cool for me because... It also showed that he was, um, he knew how important his new role was because even though he was around our whole lives, we were all closest to our mom and she was the nurturer and the caregiver and pretty much did everything for us and with us. Like we, our dad was in our lives, but we, we were with our mom, um, especially me because my brothers are so much older. Um, most of my memories are just my mom and me. Um, so it was uniquely, uh, <laughs> weird for me to come back to her not being there. But um, but it was great that my dad, like, I think he knew how important it was to me and that my mom would have come and traveled with me. So um, he did, and it was awesome. And then I got back home, and... Does he know how much that meant to you? Yeah, yeah, we've talked about it. And he know he's talked about it too, that he, you know, he realized when she passed away that he really needed to uh kind of be a better parent because uh you know i it, it's he was a different parent with all three of us i think but um the best to me but when my brothers were really little he was very angry and had a bad temper and there's a lot of you know yeah. stuff involved but um even right when my mom died he he messed up for sure like we got in fights he was not he didn't know how to be supportive he thought he actually said, uh, right when we moved in, my brother and I moved in with him after, you know, clearing out the house and we'd been up all night. It was the last night to clear everything out and we just, you know, <laughs> everything to the last minute. So, um, we got to his house with all of the stuff at like 3am and then it's like 10am the next morning and we had just woken up and we're kind of just like middling about and we'd left a bunch of stuff. We'd put some things away, but most of the stuff we left just like in the middle of the like living room, dining room area because we just, it was three in the morning and we were exhausted. And yeah, so that very next morning, my dad was like, all right, when are you going to move this stuff? And we were just like looking at him like, are you serious? Can you give us at least like a couple more? We just woke up. Can you give us a couple hours? And so... My dad said something like, uh, well, I mean, I don't know what you've been doing. And I've launched the most I've ever yelled at my dad ever in my life. I was like, are you kidding me? My mom just died. I planned her whole service. I packed up her house to be sold. I've been tutoring high school kids. I'm planning to move to Spain. What have I been doing? Like, are you kidding me? So even talking about it, like, I can't believe that he ever said that. And I think... 
after that whole diatribe and then my brother who somehow held it together even though he's got a crazy temper and he definitely yelled but he uh like hugely defended me to my dad like she's been amazing and I can't believe you would say that because even though my dad was around and just across town he wasn't that he didn't know what I was doing and what I was feeling did he apologize did he yeah he did he did I think yeah he's just he's he's not good at emotions and he's gotten better since then but you know uh, but yeah, that was, a, I felt like an a, actually like a breakthrough in our relationship. Like it was an important fight to have. <laughs> but then that uh, time period was kind of a bummer. I can't really even remember what I did after. So, or yeah, so I moved in there, but then left for Spain. And then when I came back, that's when it was hard again. It was harder coming back home than it had been when I was in Spain. Like it was... Did reality kind of hit? I think so, probably, yeah. Yeah. Um, And then I had to go back for my senior year. (laughs) Going back to school, my senior year was the worst. So that was when I probably was dealing the most with the morning. Um, And at the same time, I had a lot of credits to make up. I had transferred, missed a semester, and studied abroad. And I was like, I am not staying in Champaign, Illinois any longer. I am graduating on time. And I, you know, made that my mission. And it was hard because my friends were all partying. It's senior year. It's like the last time to live it up. And I was head down studying constantly, pretty much. My first semester was really awful because I had decided to live with eight friends from my sorority and you know they were great but they were partying constantly and and I drew the shortest straw and had the basement room it wasn't zoned properly so basically I was living in what wasn't a room and I didn't have a proper fire escape and then we like it there we had a big flood and there was mold and it was just a really bad so my living situation was bad and I was trying to study in my terrible basement bedroom while everybody's partying, you know, on the floor above me. Um, so that was bad. <laughs> that was probably the worst. Sounds very Cinderella. Yeah. Yeah, kind of. You're like um, living in the basement. Yeah. Everyone else is partying. You have a candlelight yeah. and a giant book open. It's really, that's exactly what it was. And I don't mean to be like, woe is me, but I was like, oh my God, if like, I'm already, you know, just fragile. And yeah, that, that was just, it was not a, a good environment for me to be in the dark basement room when I was already like kind of depressed, you know? It, sound, it sounds not good. Yeah. like a bad combination right. of factors. So second semester, I moved and that was so much better. And also was probably like, now I'm realizing way more positive for me because I, I moved in with these two girls who were much less into the partying and were really healthy eaters and uh, had a good habit of going to the gym. So they rubbed off on me and I kind of like from being this like sad, I don't even care, like in the basement, I just need to get my work done to like, uh, you know, let's get myself feeling good. And so I, you know, cooked with them and went to the gym with them a lot. And that was also really helpful. Not to mention one of them is a social worker. So she definitely was an ear for me to talk to. That was 
helpful. Did you know them the whole time? Yeah, I knew them. They were also in my sorority, but I wasn't as good of friends with them. So initially when I moved in, it was because another one of our sisters had uh, graduated early. And so we were friendly, but we weren't really friends. And then once I moved in, then we became friends. And um, yeah, it was, I should probably tell them how much, how much they helped me because I don't think they'll, they know probably. I keep in touch with one a lot more than the other, but yeah, it, it was, it was much better. So that was a big relief. And then that's when I then figured out I will indeed be able to graduate on time. And then that's when it kind of re-entered my mind. Okay, I think I should apply to portfolio school. So. <laughs> I mean, that is really fascinating. No, like you said, there was a year that was totally insane where you're not thinking about it. Yeah. Portfolio school or advertising or writing. You're, you're surviving. Yeah. You're... Totally. You're trying to keep it together. Yeah. And I think it was probably really good that I had that, like, it's weird how things fell into place, but that I had that class and that teacher and that discussion with my mom before the year of hell, you know? And I shouldn't say year of hell because studying abroad was amazing, but it was still like, you know. Yeah, but right before you launched into that, you had that discussion right. where yeah. you said portfolio school is going to be expensive. Yeah. And she said. "It's We're going to make it work. Yeah. Did that always stick with you? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And it wasn't something I thought about until I thought about it again. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. I didn't, it wasn't something I was thinking about while I was studying abroad. No, like it was kind of. Yeah, once I had that year over to process and then the year at U of I was just, it was just not, I, yeah, I was just not happy. I was very, like, at a very low point and, you know, trying to pretend I wasn't because, <laughs> like, which everybody make, else was. Which, which makes it even harder. Yeah, yeah. So then graduation, bittersweet, you know, because, like, I knew my mom would be so proud, but not having her there was really rough, especially like, damn it, mom, I transferred to the school you went to and now you're not here to see it. But, uh, I don't, um, I don't even really like, I, I call myself agnostic. Um, I don't really believe in God. I don't not believe in God, but, um, you know, when people say, oh, she's smiling down on you, I don't really believe that, but I do like to have this feeling that like somewhere in the universe she knows sort of so that's kind of how I like I approach it as like a I know she's proud of me so yeah so I I felt good I felt really proud of myself that I had graduated on time so that was helpful I think as far as far as a motivating factor to like okay I feel feel like I am stronger than I probably thought I was because throughout my mom's entire illness, people were always telling me how strong I was. Um, and I was very much suffering in private. And even though I was, I, I knew to an extent like, oh yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. But at the same time, I was like, I don't know if I'm really as strong as people think or say I am. And so I think after all of that, I realized like, no, I, I am like, I can do this. So I think that was probably helpful into like not being so scared about portfolio school. So I applied to two schools. 
Chicago Portfolio School and Miami Ad School in San Francisco. I got into Chicago Portfolio School and I inter- I went and interviewed there and I was like, all right, cool, I'll, I'll do this. Like, I'm in, great. So I'm, this is the summer, I'm living at my dad's. We're getting along fine. I'm like, I'm just like ready to not live here. So ready to figure that out. But first I'll start school and, you know, see how it goes. And I was working. Um, Doing what? Uh, working at, um, it was called Zoop. It was a, you know, like quick serve soup salad sandwich restaurant. And it was actually a really good experience. Uh, and then I was also working um, for my mom's and my hairdresser. So she became our friend. I mean, she was like, she had already been my hairdresser for like 12 years at that point. Um, and so I became the shampoo girl. And then I would also like, so I'd shampoo people and then I'd like, you know, clean up and do laundry and, uh, you know, take their appointments and that kind of stuff. So yeah, so I was just kind of doing those things just, you know, to have a little money. But the other part about <laughs> bringing it back to my mom saying, you know, we'll make it work, the money doesn't matter, we'll make it work. Well, I, I got, she, she paid for my school, even though she didn't know it. Um, maybe she did. Yeah, maybe she did. That's true. And that was also a huge relief because I didn't want to be another person that was going to have to be in debt, hearing all the horror stories of people graduating and then deciding to go to grad school and then just, you know, not even finding a job still and being in debt, and that was all scary. How much is portfolio school? Oh, good question. I think it was um, 1400 a quarter. Okay. Eight quarters. So some quick math. 11000 I guess. Yeah. yeah. But then there's a lot of other... Right, add-ons. other expenses. Yeah, so it was going to be like, you know, two years, 15 grand ish for school and supplies related to school, and then also housing, if I didn't live at home. So... That was still like, you know, I, I didn't really, I wasn't thinking about the money at that point because I was just like, I've got to do it and I have the money and I'm not going to think about that. Yeah. Uh, so I got into trying to remember when my visit out here was. So I came, I have family in LA. You got into both schools. Okay. I, I, I got into Chicago Portfolio School first, but I can't remember if that was before or after I had visited the school here. I want to say it was after. So I think I came out in the summer, uh, went and visited my aunt in LA, and then we did the drive up the 101 to San Francisco. And I remember, I'm getting goosebumps again, I remember coming in to San Francisco and being like, wow, like I just didn't even know anything about anything. Like I didn't really look into San Francisco very much. Yeah, because I'd only ever um, been to the LA area. Okay. Yeah, so we go there, we visit the school, and I have my, uh, the, at the time, this, the, like, front desk administrative person at the school, now, like, we're friends, so she'll, she told me, I remember how nervous you were, and, like, your aunt was asking all the questions, like, you didn't say anything, and I was like, yeah, I guess I was really nervous, because it was, like, really dawning on me the whole, like, I could move, but even the whole, like, whoa, this really is starting a whole new life. Like, it's not just school. It's, like, it's going to transform my life. So I think I was, it was a lot of emotion realizing that, too. So, you know, visited the school, thought it was cool. Um, At the end of the San Francisco trip, I remember, like, 
eating ice cream outside the ferry building and my aunt looking at me looking at San Francisco like I was just admiring the skyline and she said I can see it right now you're you're picturing yourself living here aren't you 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 can see it and I was like yeah I think I think what can't I can't I was like this very weird moment of like oh my god like I didn't realize that was happening so (laughs) um yeah so you know went home that trip was great um and then I got into Chicago Portfolio School. And I was like, all right, cool, did it, done, going. Sent my check in, didn't think much about it. I was like, I got in, I gotta go. And then a week later or whatever, heard from Miami Ad School San Francisco and I got in pretty much as quick of a decision as the previous one. Just, nope, I got in there, I gotta go. <laughs> like, so Don't cash that check. Yeah, exactly. No, really, I did. I was like, so can I get that deposit back? And I did. And I was like, okay, well, now I can't like do that again, so I'm going. Um, yeah, and then I uh, took another trip with my cousin out here to uh, look for housing. Hilarious, right? Came came back more defeated than ever, like, shit, maybe I should give that check back to Chicago. For, like, I'm never going to find a place to live. And, like, seeing, you know, the reality of not just being a tourist, but actually looking around residential areas and the reality of the homelessness and uh, the rent prices were kind of, like, intense at that moment. So kind of went back home, like, okay, no, I, I am going to go here, but this is scary now. So I went back to like, all right, maybe I wasn't, shouldn't have been so gung-ho. Like, how am I going to make this work out? And then um, the school, uh, you can put your name on a list if you're looking for housing. And the first night I spend in my apartment is just me. And I have nothing. So I have um, my clothes packed in those like space-saving bags. So you suck the air out, right? So I made a bed on my wood floor with space-saving bags, still with clothes in them. And I went to the, um, I think I had like one piece of furniture to build or something. Like we had gotten one thing delivered. I can't remember. I I had some project to do like with tools because I was like doing something in the house, but it was completely empty. And so I went across the street to this little mini mart and I was like, I guess I get to know my neighborhood and like got a bottle of wine. It's like, okay, I'm going to go, you know, with my tools and my wine. And then I realized the wine once I got back to my apartment was uh, not a twist off and I had no corkscrew. And I was like, damn it, I've already made my first mistake as like, you know, living here. And I'm like, I refuse to buy a corkscrew or a different bottle of wine. I have tools. I will make this work. So I'm like, just remember being on the floor by myself, like digging the cork out with like a combination of screwdrivers. And, um, and I did. And then I just like kind of took it all in. I was like, wow, this is so weird. But, you know, that was so that was my first night in my house. And then it was probably about a week later, we had some more things at this point, and I just remember standing, I had a beautiful apartment, like, this was a converted bedroom, so it was technically a dining room, so it was massive, Um, and I I was on top of a Stockton tunnel, so I could, I had, like, a really pretty view, Um, so I just remember staring out my window, and thinking, I'm happy. And it was a very foreign, exciting feeling. And then it dawned on me what my mom had been telling me for as long as I can remember, 
that you choose to be happy. She would say that a lot, you know, you can, you choose to be happy. And I'm, and that being said, at the time, I don't know that it would have been possible for my mom or me to be happy going through what we were going through. But it finally clicked. It was a very, like, palpable feeling of she was right and I can be happy and I, it's starting right now. And like, I was like, this is the first feeling of happiness that I can remember in a long time. <laughs> and I have to embrace it. Like I'm choosing right now. I, I can realize it's here and I'm choosing it. I'm harnessing it. It's happening. I'm going to be happy. And that was the major turning point. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like you don't even remember before that moment when you had something similar of like a feeling of relief and looking forward yeah. and, and, and happiness. Yeah. Yeah, probably not. And um, a huge part of it, you know, I think, I think about that a lot though. Like I, I really, sometimes I get mad at myself for, you know, how I wasn't able to handle my emotions or how I hid them and, you know, just in general how I was dealing with my mom's illness for so many years. But I realized I couldn't have expected myself to draw that conclusion that happiness is a choice out of the way my life was. Um, and also, I still had growing up to do. So it was confu- It was I was, you know, it was just... I was hitting puberty and she was falling apart and it was just a very weird, you know, 13 on. So it feels like all of my like becoming the woman that I am was during this really tumultuous time. And now I realize, and I think probably as soon as I had moved here, realized that that informed who I was. And now, you know, of course I wish I still had my mom and of course I wish she didn't have to suffer and that she was never sick, but, um, I'm very grateful for how I've been able to grow from the experience. And, you know, I went to a psychologist for a little bit and it was great because I was against it. And mostly because, uh, you know, that's something you have to choose for yourself. When other people are telling you that you should do this, it's really not helpful because it just, it made me mad really. Just like, well, you don't know what's best for me. And, once I decided myself to that, you know, it'd probably be good and, you know, I, I really should have probably been doing this while she was sick. Maybe that would have helped me not hide it so much myself. But um, I have a really, really supportive cousin who's also my godmother. Um, so she's in her 40s. So she kind of, she was very close to my mom. She's her brother's daughter. She was really close to my mom. She, like, babysat us growing up. Then, you know, when I was the age, I babysat her kids. We go on, I go on, like, trips with her family. And um, so we have a very close relationship. So um, she was the one who came and looked for, looked for houses with me here. And um, she was also the one who um, found a psychologist for me. And it really took 
it, it, it wasn't like it was I was talking about anything new, but it really just took having an outside source. Was this when you were out here? No, I, I backtracked again. Sorry. That's fine. It just reminded just, me just... that like part of, I'm sure part of the helpfulness, not only remembering back to my mom saying you can choose to be happy, but also having had a little therapy. But it wasn't much. Like when I think about it, I'm like, it, I'm like wow, that made such a huge impact. I was like, I think I went to like six sessions or something. That could do it. Yeah. And it was just amazing. It just took somebody else saying these things to me. Like, and one of the big ones was, um, and now this is very much informed how I live my life, um, was what's the worst that could happen? And of course, that's a question you hear all the time. And I'm, people have probably asked it and I probably thought about it myself, but it took my psychologist asking me that question. And at this point, this was after my mom had passed and it was dealing with all those people who didn't know how to deal with me. And him kind of forcing me to, to play out that exercise out loud. And I think all that led to now, and this is weird because it's, it's very sad, but also very empowering. The worst thing that could possibly happen to me has already happened. So in a way, it kind of released me to this that I realized I could take more risks because what's the worst that could happen? There is none anymore, really. Like bad things will happen and I will get past them because I've gotten past the worst thing that will ever happen to me. If you had advice to give to your younger self or someone who's younger than you, what would your advice be from all of this? I think first would be to be understanding with yourself. Um, I have always been hard on myself, and that did not help the mourning process. You can't be angry at yourself for feeling feelings. They're all valid, even if they sound crazy at the time. I think it's hard to say, like, because I, I hate the thing, like, things will get better with time. They do. That's true. But nobody wants to hear that when they're going through things. So I don't think that's the right way to put it. I think it's like holding, holding on to the things that have always been important to you. While being accepting that you might not be able to do everything you want towards those goals or even thinking about those positive things while you're going through a tragedy. I don't know if that's making sense. Because it's hard to say, like, what I would say to myself because I don't think I... Even if I knew these things then, I don't think they would have helped. What's something that you would offer up to someone else? Um, as much as possible, think of the positive things. And that's going to be different for everyone. Um, and something I say all the time now, too, is I'm very lucky. I had the best mom in the world for 20 years. Some people have a terrible mom for their whole lives. You know, I'm incredibly lucky. So I think it was just um, cherishing, cherishing those things that I did get from her. And even though, like, another thing I struggle with is she never really got to see me as a fully formed person. I mean, I was 20, so I've changed a lot since then. Um, and a lot of it is because of her and what I went through, and I'm incredibly thankful for that also. But I think um, just, yeah, be, be patient with yourself. Allow yourself to feel what you're feeling. 
but try as much as you can to hold on to the positive things. So of course I'm still, you know, I think about her every day. Not all the thoughts are positive. Of course I'm still going to have sad thoughts, but now I'm getting to a place where the majority of thoughts are positive and that's the shift. Like, you know, to and and that's what the it takes time thing really means to me. Um you know, first and and it, and it it's still difficult because a lot of the memories I have, especially because they were ages 13 to 20, and that's when a lot of your memories are, you know, it's harder to remember things as a little kid. Uh, me, personally, I don't know whether I, like, blocked them out or just have a bad memory, but I don't remember that much. Um, but I think uh, for the first while, it was all sad memories or, or kind of traumatizing ones, and they're still there, and they'll probably never go away. Um but holding on to the the good ones and being being appreciative of them. So like remembering that she told me happiness was a choice and and smiling about her having told me that. Like that was something positive that my mom left me with. And there's there are a million and one things. Um so it's more like the memories of actually being with her. It's it's sad and they they fade and that's hard to deal with, but um, the impressions obviously she made on my life will always be there. So coming back to those and feeling good about those, I think is important. This is the um, <laughs> this is the the final question and the follow up to that that I always like to ask is. If you could title your autobiography, what would the title be? That's so hard. This is like, if if I were to do that, that would be like days worth of like list writing. <laughs> like, but I can, um, I can think for a minute and try to try to give you an answer. Cause like, that's the, like, I struggle to even, like, say something because as a writer, you know, like, if somebody's like, if you were going to, like, put a headline on this, what would it be? I'm like, give me, like, you know, many hours and, like, pages and pages of work and then I'll tell you. Like, it's hard to just, um, hmm. I wrote one thing down. Yeah. Can I? Yeah. Can I see if this resonates? Please, offer it up. What's the worst that could happen? Oh, wow. I didn't even think about that. That totally makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Cuz I don't think uh that 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 probably represents the turning point in my life, doesn't it? I didn't realize that that's never something that like I would have thought out. I was never like a huge risk taker, but I was never like super safe, but I feel like I it would have sounded a lot scarier to me doing all the things that I've done since that what's the worst that could happen moment. Uh yeah, that's that's interesting. That's a good one. I'm t can I take it? Yeah, it's yours. <laughs> Are we good? Are we wrapping it up? Is that a wrap? That's a wrap. <laughs> Thank you for listening. I've been speaking with Jenna Copy on Is Now a Good Time. I'm looking through you. Where did you go?